blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my Just a few announcements today. Don't forget the administrative council meeting for those involved with that at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Monday night, lay leadership meeting. Tuesday night, finance meeting. Wednesday, 5 o'clock, United Methodist Women meet. 5.30, meal and classes at Trinity. There is, uh, we're moving into a different project now that we've finished up the shoe boxes, more on that later in the service, but we are now collecting facial tissues for the school system here in Chester County. We'll bring a box in here. There'll be boxes in the, in the right hall. There'll be boxes in the narthex of the Christian Life Center. Are there any other announcements? Miss Judy's coming for an announcement. Any other announcements? Thank you.
also would like to invite anybody that would like to come and sing with us. This, this, is, this little group up here, don't let them scare you off, okay? okay. But anyway, we, we're working on some seasonal stuff, and uh, you know, if you'd like to come and have a good time on Tuesday, we practice from 5.30 to 6.30, and sometimes we get out a little early. So anyway, but anyway, if, you, if you're, uh, would like to have a little fun and uh, use your voice a little bit, then come and sing with us. We'd appreciate it if you could, if you would do that. We're going to start our song service this morning with uh, He is Exalted. Let's stand as we sing. come before you as a people who need you desperately. Sometimes we have to swallow our pride to admit that we need you. Sometimes we have to swallow our pride to admit that we need others. We are called to look after, to take care of the widows and the orphans, and we hope, Lord, that we would be willing to do that, because that is the command that you have given us. And now as we come into this place, into this sanctuary, into the presence of God Almighty, we ask, Lord, that we would not only worship the name of Jesus Christ, but we would be enabled and equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to take the word of God out of this place into the world around us. And we ask it in your name and for our sake. And the people together say, Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to look at your screen or as you need to to turn to 881 for the Apostles' Creed this morning. It begins, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.
Good morning. It's good to see you. Did you have a good time at the Operation Christmas Child Packing Party yesterday? What was your favorite part of the packing party? Packing the shoe boxes. Okay, packing the shoe boxes. Packing the shoe boxes. Wow. Well, I thought they might say the chocolate chip pancakes we served. <laughs> they had coloring pages that they worked on really hard where they got to color in the state of Tennessee and a picture of their pets and send it along with each of these boxes you see before us. We got to watch videos about a lion, a little stuffed lion that went all the way across the world. And we saw a, a video about um, Veggie Tales. God is calling people to himself all over the earth. We love that about our God, don't we? You know, Samaritan's Purse makes Christmas ornaments with a Bible verse. Uh, usually it's a psalm, uh, uh, something from Psalms. This year's Bible verse, can you read it for us, Samantha? Let your glory be over all of the earth. Psalm chapter 108, verses 5. Okay. Here's another ornament from a few years ago. I'll read this one. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15. What do you think the indescribable gift is? God, eternal life. Yeah, eternal life, God. And what is the gift from God that we celebrate at Christmas time? Jesus. Okay, now Brother Keith is going to lead a prayer over the boxes and for each boy and girl that's going to receive this box. Let's make a circle and touch the boxes while Brother Keith leads this prayer. together with me Lord we never know what smallest thing might make the greatest impact we never know what small thing we might do that would have such an impact on the heart of another that they would know you as Lord and Savior so Lord here is our prayer that you would take our small efforts our feeble faltering attempts and you would multiply them and use them in such a way that they would impact the world we ask as these shoe boxes are open that there will not only be smiles of joy because of toys and gifts, but there will be smiles of joy when they discover, as has already been said, the most indescribable gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ. We send with these shoe boxes our love. We send them with peace. We ask that your grace and your love and your mercy would fall upon these boxes, upon everyone who is touched, not only the initial recipient, but perhaps others who are drawn into a knowledge of Christ because of this. We thank you for those who have headed up this effort. We thank you for those who have contributed and packed shoe boxes. We thank you, Lord, more than anything else for the gift of your son. We ask that he would be with us even until the ends of the age, and we know he will even as he promised. And we ask, Lord, these things in the name of Jesus, and together we say amen. sunshine you're giving us today we thank you all, all of these things we play, pray Lord in Jesus name okay I'm usually a lot better than this <laughs> we're doing um, uh, 834 
Praise the Lord. Praise the servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting is high above all nations, God's glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is sealed on high, who looks down upon the heavens and the earth. God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of God's people. God gives the barren woman a home, making Jackie and Wayne Lott, Betty and Ed Morris, Pat McCullough, who's having heart surgery, Sarah Taylor and family. We also lift up Sky McCracken and the people of First United Methodist Church of Jackson, who is our congregation that we pray for this day. We lift up the family of Miss Doris Sells, who passed away, Christy Pugh, Faye Morris, Keith Foote, Janice Vaughn, Phil and Anita Hickerson, John and Elizabeth, uh, John has been in the hospital. Uh, of course, Elizabeth was our former uh, song director. Uh, John has been in the hospital. It has not turned out to be as bad as they at first were afraid. He looks like he's going to be able to come home Monday. Uh, he had had an abscess on his back that was causing uh, some uh, staph infection and uh, had become septic. But it looks like he is going to be able to go home with just antibiotic treatment at home. So continue to lift up John and Elizabeth, lift up Ben Estes, and again, the family of Doris Sells. Are there others that you would add this day? Dr. Warman Campbell. Are there any others? Let's pray together. Lord, this is a day that we stand before you, as we do every day, that there is something right and fitting when the people of God covenant together to pray. When we stand before you, when we cry out to you, when we ask, Lord, be merciful to us. Help us who are nothing more than sinners saved by the grace of God. Help us to realize more than anything else that you are a God who loves us, who created us, who sustains us, who created the universe and all the stars in the firmament, and during all the eons of eternity will always be God, creator, and sustainer. Help us to realize that he will be with us in the person of Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit, even to the ends of the age. And help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God hears our prayers, even those prayers that have not been mentioned out loud, those silent requests that we do not even know how to ask. So, Lord, we ask that you would hear us even as we pray together the way you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. What our ushers come forward at this time? Pray with me. Lord, out of the multitude of blessings you've given us, we ask humbly that you would accept back our tithes and our offerings in this place, that they might go to advancing the kingdom of God, not only in our own backyard, but into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we ask to get Lord in your name and for our sake. Amen.
listen to me. Two times through, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's uh, 349 in your notes, or you may use the screen if you like. I'll be reading in just a moment from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. You'll see it on your screen, or you can use, of course, your Bible or your device. There's a story told. It was a Sioux Indian tribe, a fairly large Sioux Indian tribe that was living in the United States, and it was coming close to winter time. So the leaders of the tribe went to the chief and said, Chief, is it going to be a cold winter this winter? The chief said, Wait. And so they waited a couple of days. The chief comes back. What they don't know is the chief goes to his home, picks up his cell phone, calls the National Weather Service, and says, is it going to be cold this winter? The National Weather Service, what are we thinking it'll be about an average winter? So he goes back and he goes, cold, but not too cold. So they wait a few weeks and they start gathering fireworks, so they, excuse me, firewood, so that they can be ahead of the curve on gathering wood for the fire. And they go back to the chief a second time. They say, chief, it is almost time for winter to begin. Will it be indeed a hard winter? The chief says, wait. He goes back and does exactly the same thing. Picks up his cell phone, calls the National Weather Service, and they say, well, it's going to be cold, but 
it looks like it could be colder than we originally thought. A few more weeks go by. The tribe is gathering firewood like crazy. They're like squirrels with nuts. They're afraid it's going to be too cold a winter, so they're gathering firewood, stacking it up head high. They go to the chief, and they say, Chief, is it going to be a cold winter? The chief again says, wait. He goes to his home, picks up the cell phone, calls the National Weather Service, and he says, this is the chief of the Sioux tribe. Is the winter indeed going to be cold? And the National Weather Service people said, Chief, it's going to be the coldest winter we've ever had on record. You wouldn't believe it, but the Indians are gathering firewood like crazy. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know, do you? You don't know what's predicted. Is it going to come true? One thing about Tennessee, if you don't like Tennessee weather, wait 15 minutes, it'll change. It'll be different. But we read about it. The Almanac tells us it's going to be a cold winter. Then Channel 7 News says, oh, it's, not. it's going to be an average winter. Then the next group says this and that. And before long, you're kind of running in circles, not knowing exactly what to believe. You don't know with all the sophisticated computer models, all the meteorologists have at their hand that they can use to kind of chart the weather systems. They still mess up a forecast sometimes. You know that day that it was going to be 68 degrees, sunshine and beautiful, and you get up and it's rained four inches since midnight and it's 28 degrees? Sometimes those things happen. We always want to know. We want to know the future. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through 13, Jesus is talking about the future. And he says, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to them, You see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles these are the beginnings of sorrows but watch out for yourself for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony to them and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations but when they arrest you and deliver you, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. For whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speaketh, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this is indeed the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus is speaking in what we call the Olivet Discourse. Now, it's a very simple reason why it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's because Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when he gave this particular statement. He's sitting and he's looking across at the beautiful temple, the beautiful Jewish temple. Mark 13 is a parallel passage with passages in Matthew 24 and Luke 24, they say basically the same thing in a little bit different manner. But the most important event in the future, even as we're looking forward to the season of Advent, the most important thing that we're looking forward to is the return of Jesus Christ. In Mark 13, Jesus is speaking, and he gives details. Do you notice John and Mark and some of them are saying, tell us, tell us. Why? Because, to be honest, they want to know more than everybody else does. They want to know before everyone else when Jesus is coming again. But none of us know. And if I begin to give you a date, then immediately stop listening to you because, to me because I have done something that's not possible. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I cannot tell you if it's going to be tomorrow, today, five minutes from now, 30 seconds from now, 500, 1,000 years from now. But Jesus gave us some signs, three major signs in the Olivet Discourse. The first one was he predicted that the temple would be destroyed. Now, do you remember playing hide-and-go-seek as young people? Or 
maybe you still play, I don't know, but you remember, you count to 20, and you always had that one guy who would kind of cheat and do this, one, two, three, and he was looking through his fingers. But if you did it right, you closed your eyes, covered them up, counted to 20, and somebody was always a smart aleck and wanted to go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, instead of one, two, and you get to 20, and what would you yell? Ready or not, here I come. Doesn't matter if you have a hiding place yet or not, I'm coming. You better watch out because here I come and I'm going to find you and see what it is that you're doing. Well, Jesus gave us three major predictions in the Olivet Discourse. Again, the first one is that the temple would be destroyed. Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, the disciples were looking there from the Mount of Olives across at the Jewish temple. And they were probably amazed at how beautiful the temple was. And it was a magnificent building far in excess of anything that we have today. This was the second temple, and Herod the Great had spent 40 years, that's right, 40 years, and in today's money, hundreds of billions of dollars to create and upgrade and expand the temple. The Jewish historian Josephus, who saw it with his own eyes, said this. He gave us a description of what the temple looked like. Now, the outward face of the temple was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight. And at the first rising of the sun, they reflected back a fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away, just as they would have done at their sun's own rays. But this temple appeared to strangers when they were coming to it at a distance like a mountain covered by snow. For as to the parts of it that were not covered with gold, they were exceedingly white. So we had a beautiful white temple. And on all the outward, the external parts of the temple, it was covered with plates of gold. And on top of it, it had spikes with sharp points to prevent any pollution of it by birds sitting upon it, to keep the birds from resting on the temple itself. Of its stones, they were, listen to this, 68 feet, that's 45 cubits, in length, 8 feet in height, and 9 feet in breadth. Now think about that one more time. 45 cubits, which is 68 feet in length, 8 feet in height, and 9 feet in breadth. And they were put one upon the other. But Jesus knew as beautiful and as permanent as the temple seemed to be, the time was coming when it would be destroyed, and there would be not a stone left upon the other. Now, this was a pretty audacious claim. The disciples probably looked at Jesus kind of like uh, Scooby-Doo, the little dog on Scooby-Doo. Huh? They probably looked at Jesus and said, oh, what? The temple is going to be destroyed? This is the temple of the Most High God. Nothing's going to destroy the temple. They thought it was as indestructible as God himself is. It was God's dwelling. It was as audacious as me going to Washington, D.C., standing in front of the Capitol and saying, there's going to come a day where not a stone of this Capitol will be left upon others. People would look at me and go, what is he talking about? How, how can he know that? That can't be true. Well, a few days earlier, Jesus made the same prediction when he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he stopped at the Mount of Olives and he wept over Jerusalem. And here's what he said in Luke 19:41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, that means us, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies build an embankment against you and they encircle you and they hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The reason the temple is going to be destroyed, Jesus said, is because the people refused to recognize when God came and lived among them. They refused to recognize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They were guilty of spiritual blindness. They didn't recognize that Jesus had come to bring them peace. They thought peace was deliverance from Roman occupation. You see, we have a tendency to think peace is an absence of conflict, an absence of war. That's not really peace. You can be at peace from a warfare standpoint and still not be at peace in your heart. Jesus came to bring us the kind of peace that passes all understanding, the kind of peace that allows us to, even in the midst of conflict, to be at peace with the world. Now, there may be somebody listening right now on radio, and by the way, welcome to our radio audience. But to those of you who are listening here live, there may be some among you who, who say peace, peace, but there is no peace. Some of you who are wondering, why can't I have peace? What's wrong? 
What's wrong in my life that it's a constant turmoil? What's wrong in my life that it's a constant series of troubles and problems? What is wrong with my life? It's because you're not seeking the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. Or maybe you've never seeked after Jesus himself. So maybe you don't know the creator and bringer of peace. Maybe you don't have a relationship. I told you early on that I would be talking a lot about relationships because I don't want another religion. There are plenty of religions. We'll talk about that in just a moment. What I want you to have is a relationship with a God who loves you so much that he gave his only son. And we say that so flippantly. We, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we know that verse, right? We all recite that verse. We've been reciting that verse since we were Samantha's age. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. But do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand what peace means? Do we really understand exactly what we're asking? We're asking for peace. Well, the prediction of Jesus, as I told you, came true 40 years later, just like he predicted it. In the year 70 AD, the Roman general Titus surrounded Jerusalem and he laid siege to the city. No food went out, no people came, no food went in, no people came out, and the temple and the city that it surrounded were destroyed. The gold plates of the temple were melted down from the heat of the fires that were set to where the Roman soldiers took heavy iron bars and moved the stones apart so they could loot and steal the gold that had melted and run down between the stones. Herod's temple was destroyed on the ninth day of Ein, which is one of the Jewish months. 600 years earlier, Solomon's temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians on the exact same day. So the prophecy was fulfilled exactly as Jesus predicted. This extended forecast wasn't like our weather forecast. It was 100% accurate. So what was the second prediction? Jesus predicted the rise of some disturbing things. The disciples asked for a sign. They were always asking for a sign. Lord, if this is going to happen, show us a sign. Lord, if you want us to do this, show us a sign. So God shows them a sign, and they go, well, okay, anybody can do it once. Show me another sign. Because what they were really saying is, we don't want to do what you ask, but if you show us enough signs, we'll finally decide we ought to do it. So Jesus predicted the rise of disturbing trends. Jesus also said, these are the beginning of birth pains. You've got to be on your guard. Now, no one knows exactly the day and the hour and the time of the second coming of Christ. If they do, as I told you earlier, if they do tell you they know, you can automatically label them as a false prophet. And Jesus did say, however, that we're supposed to look for certain trends. They're kind of like, again, birth pain for an expectant mother. During this time, these trends will be spiritual confusion. Jesus said there will be people show up saying, I'm the Messiah. Do you remember David Koresh in the 1990s, the Branch Davidians? He claimed to be the Messiah, and he's not the only. There have been many throughout the last years of history and even longer ago who claimed to be the Messiah. One reason there's so much confusion is there's so many differing religions. There are 270 major religious groups. Notice I didn't say denominations. I said major religious groups, Muslim, Christian. Buddhist, Arakistan, the list goes on and on. 270 different groups, and there's thousands upon thousands of smaller cults and groups. Here's an example of a cult. If you're like me, I loved science fiction growing up. Uh, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was eight or nine years old, like every other boy in America probably. But I loved reading science fiction, and to be honest, when I want to turn my brain off and not have to think real hard, I still like reading science fiction. Problem is, it takes me longer to get it turned back on than it used to. <laughs> if I ever turn it off, it, it kind of grinds a little bit before it cranks back up. But L. Ron Hubbard was a writer of science fiction. He wrote hundreds of books, in fact. But he one time was quoted as saying this, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man wants to make a million dollars, he ought to just start his own religion. And so that's exactly what L. Ron Hubbard did. He started a church called the Church of Scientology. You may have heard of it. There have been TV specials about it. It's been in the news uh, over the years. John Travolta, Tom Cruise are both members of the Church of Scientology. To kind of give you a real small look at what they believe, they believe that human beings are actually eternal alien beings 
who are called Thetans, who are trapped on earth. And it goes downhill from there. I mean, that's just the opening statement. But it's, it's something we read and we go, what? But there are so many different religious groups claiming to be the Messiah. At the beginning of the 20th century, there was the beginning of what was called the Utopian Society. The Utopian movement was gaining momentum. My grandfather was born in 1897. Of course, obviously, he's not still alive. But in 1897, he was born. And we used to talk about all the things that he had seen that had changed from 1897 to when I was born in 1955. If I had told my grandfather, if I could have gone back in time, met him when he was three or four, five, six years old in the early 1900s, and told him that there was gonna come a time that I could reach in my pocket, pull out a device, punch in a phone number. First of all, he'd say, what's a phone number? Punch in a phone number and talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime, if they had their own phone. He would have thought I'd lost my mind. If I had told him we were going to walk upon the moon and planning to go to Mars, he would have gone again and went, what? What is, what is wrong with you, son? You, are you feeling okay? Because we can't imagine how much things have changed and how much continue to change. And some people said that it's going to be a utopia at the 1900 dawn. Unfortunately, quickly upon the hills of the utopian dawning of the year 1900 came World War I. And World War I kind of put a lie to the fact that we were going to have peace and utopia. There were going to be natural calamities. There were going to be earthquakes. Now, there have always been earthquakes. Have you ever thought about how many earthquakes happen in a year? Well, we're going to eliminate those little tremors that nobody can even feel. How many earthquakes actually register on the Richter scale strong enough that you can feel them? The answer is 130,000 a year. 130,000 a year. Of those, some of them, or many of them, most of them actually, are tremors that are below two on the Richter scale, but you can barely feel them. But over 1,300 are strong enough to cause physical damage every year. And Jesus predicted that they were increasing, and they are. Third thing he predicted, Jesus predicted persecution against his followers. Now, I want you to think about that one for just a moment. When is the last time you've had a friend or a family member beaten or killed simply because they were a Christian? Hasn't happened here, has it? That we were aware of, anyway. <laughs> But even as we speak, it is happening across the world. Even as we speak, there are those who are being killed, chastised, beaten, dashed down, because simply they're Christians. They're simply being killed because they're believers. Thousands of Christians every year are killed just simply because they cry out in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, we're not any different than we've been for the past 6,000 years. In the past 6,000 years of recorded history, there's only been approximately 200 years of time when there wasn't a major conflict. And so Jesus predicted there would be persecution and it would become stronger and stronger and stronger. The church father Tertullian wrote these words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What does it mean by that? Sometimes it takes something as drastic as persecution leading to death to wake the church up. Now, we probably aren't facing death for our faith, so I'm reminded of a story that came out of when the USSR became uh, Russia and split apart. There was a story that, of course, at that time, churches were illegal. You could be arrested and thrown into prison simply for being in church. And so one morning, they were having church services in a small church, and suddenly the doors were thrown open, and Russian soldiers came in with machine guns leveled and said, anyone who professes Christ as Lord and Savior is going to be killed. Either repent and give up following after Christ, or we're going to kill you where you stand. And the entire church, a small church, but the entire church looked at the soldiers and said, I would rather die 
and not take a stand and not proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And then they close their eyes and begin to pray, expecting the bullets to start flying at any moment. But instead, what happened was this. The Russian soldiers took off their machine guns, unstrapped them, and laid them down on the ground, and came to the altar and knelt down in prayer with them. And when asked why, the leader of the soldiers said, we had to be sure that you were truly Christians before we could trust you with the knowledge that we are. Somebody saw us, would they know? I wonder that a lot. Maybe I'm the only one who does things like that. But I wonder, if somebody saw me, would they know? If somebody was looking for a Christian to persecute, would they come to my house? Or would they say, nah, Keith, no, nah, never. Would they know? Would they know that we're Christians? You remember the song that says, and they know we're Christians by our love, by their love? We will know, they will know that we're Christians by our love. Well, there's three challenges that's inherent in that. We have to bear witness to Jesus Christ, even when we're persecuted. Maybe I should say even more so when we're persecuted. Jesus said he will give us words to say when we're persecuted, when we're arrested and put on trial. Many of the Roman soldiers during this time of persecution when the temple was destroyed, when they went to arrest Christians, they were so impressed with the fact that these Christians would be willing to die that the Roman soldiers were taking out their own armor, putting their weapons down, and stepping forward and professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even though they knew they were going to be killed right that second when they did so. That's faith. That's belief. That is being sold out. We may not be facing death for our sin, but when you're criticized or ostracized or laughed at, don't react in anger and bitterness. Don't react in such a way that we show them the sinful nature that still lives in us. Act in such a way that we hear the love and see the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus also said, Mark 13, 10, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. He said, before I'm coming back, the gospel is going to be preached to all the nations. Now, when we hear that, we immediately think nation like the United States of America, Mexico, Canada, etc., etc. But what Jesus really said was he used the word ethnos. Ethnos is just a word that means ethnic or people groups. Now, there are over 10,000 different ethnic groups in the world, 10,000. Most of them don't even have a written language, have never heard the word of God in their own language. And thirdly, we're challenged to stand firm in the face of opposition. Jesus said, he who stands firm to the end will, shall be saved. Now, the end he's talking about may not be the end of this age. It may refer to the end of our lives. In a time when our culture is sinking into the sinking sands of popular opinion, and morality by vote. God is looking for some people who will stand up for what's right. You see, we seem to act as though we can change God's rules by voting on them. We can adopt a new morality by voting for it. God's morality, God's law, will always be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Alfred Lord Tennyson, in the Library of Congress, there's a plaque that says this, written by Alfred Lord Tennyson, one God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. Christ is coming again. We're coming into the season of Advent. We're packing shoeboxes. Why? In the hopes and with the prayer that someone will be touched by what we've done. Not so they'll look at that and go, wow, look what First Methodist and Henderson sent me. But so they will think to themselves, somewhere there is a person who loves me enough to have taken the time out of their busy schedule and to pack the shoebox for me. Now, if one of us opened the shoebox, unfortunately, and we're a first world country, we would look at the shoebox and go, oh, okay, 
we probably wouldn't be that excited about it. But the most exciting thing about these shoe boxes is they're done for one simple reason. Not so we can get patted on the back, not so we can get our picture in the paper, not so we can spread it all over Facebook. None of those things are bad, but we do it for one simple reason. So the world will hear the news, the good news, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. Douglas MacArthur, the name most of us know, General Douglas MacArthur was forced to live, leave the Philippines in the early days of World War II as the Japanese began island hopping and coming, uh, taking over Manila and the Philippines and other places. But he made a promise to the Filipino people. He said, I shall return. I shall return. Some people thought it was just a hollow promise that he would never be back again. But two years later, as the Japanese were pushed out of the territories they had conquered, he walked ashore at Leda Island and declared, people of the Philippines, I have returned by the grace of God. Now, MacArthur was a great man, but he just a man, but he kept his promise to return. As Jesus has returned to heaven through the ascension, he could have said the same thing. I have come through and I will return. I have come through everything the Father planned for me. I've come through all the disgrace and hatred and degradation that people threw at me. And he can re reply, I will return. Do we know when? No. Could I give you a good guess? Not even going to try. Could I have an idea? It's closer than it's ever been, but that's a cheap statement to make. Because, of course, it's closer than it's ever been. It's closer than it was yesterday, and it didn't happen yesterday. So it's now closer than it's ever been. Can I tell you when? No. Does the scriptures tell you when? No. Does Jesus tell us when? No. So what we need to do is like the parable of the bridesmaids. Do you remember that old parable? It was, if you look at the bulletin, you'll see it written about on the right-hand side of the end part of the bulletin. Five of the bridesmaids were prepared. They had trimmed the wick of their lamps. They had filled them with oil. Five of the bridesmaids hadn't done so, and their lamp had gone out. So here's the question. Jesus died. Jesus is risen. And Jesus is coming soon. When? Don't get me to lie, as the kids say, because I don't know. I do know this. I serve a risen Savior, and he's coming again. But it's going to be different. The first time, the Advent season that we're just about to enter into, and by the way, I love Christmas. Christmas, and I don't mean that flippantly. I just generally love Christmas. But do you realize without Easter, Christmas really wouldn't mean anything? It'd just be a story of a baby boy, born in a manger, like any other thousands of children. But with Easter, when you put Christmas, the birth, with the crucifixion and the resurrection, then you really truly hear the good news, the story of the gospel. So do I know when he's coming back? No. Do I know what's going to happen leading up to? I've been given clues in the scriptures. One thing I can tell you, I don't know when he's coming back, but I know that he is coming back. He has died, he is resurrected, he has ascended into heaven, and there's going to come a day when God the Father is going to look at Christ the Son and he's going to say these words. Son, go get your children. And that's what's going to happen. The trump will sound and Christ will appear in the skies and we will be carried up with him. We will be part of that great cloud of witnesses that are caught up. Jesus is coming again. Ready or not, here he comes. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would be with us and watch over us. We ask that you would hold us and keep us. We ask, Lord, that in the midst of our disbelief, we'd be filled with belief. In the midst of our lack of attention to the things of God, we would be convicted and convinced that we need to trust upon God himself. 
God has promised he would be with us even to the ends of the age. But there is going to come that time when Christ will come again. When the trump will sound, the skies will unroll like a scroll, and we will see him coming in the air. But it won't be as a baby. It won't be as a helpless child. It will be as the king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee will bow, and every tongue shall confess the simple fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. We'll have no choice then. So help us to make the right choice now. Help us to call upon the name of Jesus Christ that we might be saved. We ask it, Lord, in your name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray and together the people say, Amen. That's what we were just saying. We, as the people of God in this place, are standing on the promises of God. But the truth is, lots of times I'm really just sitting on the premises. I'm not standing on the promises. I'm not acting as though I believe those things I proclaim. I'm not standing on the promises. Lord, I'm sitting on the premises. And then I wonder why our churches were not filled to capacity overflowing the way they used to be. Maybe it's because we have stopped standing on the promises, stepping out, trusting God, allowing God to put the words in our mouths that we need to say to the world so the world will see the reason for the hope that is within us. And when people ask the reason for that hope, we will point to him and say it is Jesus Christ. Help us to stand on the promises. We ask, Lord, these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Would you go in peace? Thank you.